0: Welcome to the 159th episode of Reverse Rep Radio. I'm Andy Ryan.
1: And I'm Toby Chad.
0: It's 22 years to the day since England sealed a memorable victory in the Karachi gloom. In the photo of the smiling Thorpe and Hussain walking off, you can barely see the pitch behind them. Welcome to the podcast that's delighted that England are back in Pakistan creating more memorable tests. And
1: what an astonishing test that! First one was, I suppose, it was the moment when all of the sort of promise of the Ben Stokes, brendan McCullum era came off with that audacious, audacious, audacious. I can't even speak properly anymore. Um,
0: declaration. Did you actually manage to to follow much of it? Bits and pieces. We we let podcast listeners know this in uh, the last episode, but I've recently joined you in the ranks of fatherhood, which means. Um, uh, I've I've not been getting up early for the five a.m. But if I happen to be up for it anyway, through you know parental duties, um, I've been I've I've had it very much on the uh, on the TMS on the radio, and I have to say I'd slightly presumably like a lot of England fans after those first few days. I thought, well, this is going to meander out. Uh, into a sort of gentle yeah. draw, but uh, I needed to have more faith in Basball. So um, it's it's early days,
1: but are you thinking opening opening batter for your new, um, new offspring? What's the vibe you're
0: getting? I'm thinking op- opening batter for mine. I'm not sure as yet she has displayed the level of patience and self-control required mm. of a good opening bat, but I guess time is always, you know, there's still time. Um, perhaps more, I'm looking for more the kind of uh, Extrovert flair of a of a great leg spinner. Let's go for that. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay. A bit of a bit of widey flair going there. Um, so in this episode of um, Reverse Swept Radio, Andy is going to try and stay awake for the entire episode, and that will be an achievement in and of itself. Um, we've both been actually following um, events happening in Australia. I suppose it's it's the time of year, and also the fact that that Andy is now mostly nocturnal. Um, we're going to be looking back to the moment when DRS had its first outing in a Test match, and We're going to be reviewing Long Shot Summer, the Year of the Four England cricket captains, nineteen eighty eight. I was born in nineteen eighty eight. When were you born? Me me too, yeah. Yeah. Were you? There we go. There we go. I'd never actually thought about it much as a as a cricketing year, but there you go. So um you have been um keeping it in the family when it comes to West Indian batsmen.
0: So I've mentioned a few times on this podcast that Shiv Chandapal is a a great favourite of mine and it's therefore given me particular joy to see his son, Tejenerin, do well in his debut series. Um, I'm afraid he's going to have to put up with an awful lot of people like me banging on about his dad. But with his really unique technique and obvious guts, he seems less in his father's shadow and more a proud successor. It's been... A pretty
1: miserable series, I have to say. I have been kind of trying to follow it, but it just feels like it's a foregone conclusion, really, the Australia West Indies um test series, the two two match series that finished today, actually, the day we're recording with Australia wrapping up a 430 run victory or something. Um the interesting thing about Janderpol is that in a he's been batting in hopeless situations, but one thing that's really impressed me is his ability to Um, play good balls on their merits but then he's just not afraid to you know hit an over for 20 when the opportunity um, comes as well and he does seem really able to switch between those two modes very very quickly it's not as though he goes out with a particular mindset you know some of the West Indian batsmen have been going out with the mindset of oh we're so far behind we might as well have a hit or we're so far behind we might as well block everything but he seems to be someone who can actually genuinely build um, and pace in in innings
0: Definitely, and I mean, I, I've been relying on the odd highlight, and I think it, it's been interesting that there's both been that defiance. I mean, he took some blows in the first innings and sort mm. of kept going, which is very much, sorry, but very much in the spirit of his dad. And then secondly, um he there was some flair as well. I mean, going after um, what is obviously a great Aussie pace attack, Um I think one thing that's been really heartening is his first class figures I don't have them off the top of my head, were like decent but not outstanding. No,
1: like he averages 30 with the bat, I think, yeah. out of 50 first class games, it's, it's very well, low, and actually his test average is currently high, I think he averages 40 with the bat in tests. Well,
0: and it's really heartening actually because I think, you, you know, you always have this with any player don't they make the transition to the test arena how will they, you know, sink or swim, and he really does seem to respond it. I think more broadly, um, you know, I'll, I'll leave it to others to do the really in-depth Deep dive into the series, but I think it, 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 it's hard to be too tough on the West Indies when they're given. You know, most teams struggle in Australia, and West Indies are given this miserable test schedule that where yep. they play so little test cricket, yep. and we then send them to Australia and grumble that you know with with very little practice or pretest yep. that they yep. they get hammered. So, although uh, to yeah. be clear, to be clear, my grumble isn't with with the
1: West Indies mm-hmm. per se; it's it's with a system where you end up as you say, having these kind of test series that feel like dead robbers before they've, um, before they... Definitely.
0: Yeah. I, I was interested, and I don't know if you've got any on the ground, although I'm conscious that Australia is a, is a big place to be it's on a big the ground, ground everywhere, but there was grumbling about not great crowds in the first test, but then actually the crowds in Adelaide apparently have been very good, so I, I don't know whether... Well, I don't, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I don't know if there's a sense of why that might be, or more, or more generally, I guess, do you get the sense that anyone in Australia is interested in this series?
1: Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's been there's been a lot of cricket recently, particularly with the mm. T20 World Cup, obviously, um, and i remember i haven't actually heard much about that kind of narrative around around the crowds i have to admit um i was in the i haven't seen any of the games live but i was in the in the pub the other day watching um some of the adelaide test and just kind of looking at the banks and banks of empty of empty seats and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of buzz around it and you know you listen to the news bulletins on the radio and the tests aren't even featured which is you know slightly um you know, which 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 is slightly depressing. And I suppose it's all I have to say, I've been feeling a little bit depressed about cricket recently because that allied with you know, this whole David Warner thing, tawdry affair of of David Warner Kind of wanting to be reconsidered for the captaincy, but then very publicly withdrawing his desire to be reconsidered because he thought that um, it was going to drag, you know, drag his reputation through the mud again and drag, drag his family through the whole affair. So, and fair enough. Th-
0: this is another really probably unfair question to ask you to read the Australian public mood, but I'm mm. going to ask you anyway. I am our Australian is, correspondent, is, after all. Yes, as, well, you are really. You know, to. So, um, Got the accent and, and everything. You know, I, I hear that you you know some actual Australians, main be married I to once one, I, so, yeah, I once you know. I once met one she's so asleep in the bedroom next door is there, is, is the, what, what, do, you, do you sense what the kind of feeling is towards Warner is is the sort of country ready to sort of forgive well I think, well,
1: I think everyone's just over it to be honest mm. I think there was a lot of chess beating and it became it was in the headlines and it became subject of this kind of national hysteria almost in this massive um uh state of um sort of um, introspection and and sort of self-loathing almost that came out of the the cape Town affair sorry i really should turn my phone off shouldn't i um and um the and now we've kind of moved past that and we had smith coming back in and and captaining the last test of course um and i think everyone's just 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 a bit bored of it and, again, the kind of Dave Warner thing happening, but then also Dave Warner's manager coming out and saying, well, clearly it couldn't have just been the three players, you know, Smith, Warner, Bancroft, you know, who came up with this. It must have come from higher up, and the coaches must have known in bloody ball. And suddenly the whole thing's being open again, and it's kind of, come on, can't we actually, particularly at a time when there's a test series against the West Indies, like, can't we actually kind of be paying attention to that and mm. on what Dave Warner's writing on, you know, writing on Instagram? So... I was feeling a bit kind of a bit a bit sort of miserable miserable about all of that but the one thing that has, has really kind of perked me up is the tour tour game happening between the South Africans and the Cricket Australia 11 in Canberra at the moment so the South Africans are due to start a test series against Australia next week again a symbol of the kind of um, almost contempt that the West Indians are held in, that a week after the Test Series against them, <laughs> the Australians go on and play a Test Series against the against the South Africans. The West Indian Series is nothing more than a warm-up. Um, but tour matches um, so often nowadays don't really tell you all that much. They're just an excuse for kind of batsmen to fill their boots. But here we saw a run-out from the South African bowling attack against actually a very, very good Australian um cricket Australia 11 um, you know lots of people who have been doing playing really well in, in shield cricket this year um, and the South African um, bowling lineup are, are looking absolutely phenomenal and so suddenly out of this kind of dead rubber against the West Indians there's a real chance that we're going to see something pretty pretty spicy when this Australian batting lineup much vaunted batting lineup with Labochain and you know really um going well at the moment up against up against the South Africans so suddenly it
0: feels like we've got something to look forward to I I I think it may have even been our last episode or a recent episode where I I talked about being cruelly deprived of the chance to see the South African pace attack live by the Mm. um, British weather but um particularly with Norkia um it, it's fun you know it's just i mean there, there's such a there, there's such a talented lineup all around it's maybe a bit unfair to just pick him up but um it, it, it sometimes it gets you back to basic pleasures just watching an angry fast bowler bowl yep. really really fast um yep. and yes i think you're quite right seeing him up against um Labuschagne, that there's been um one uh trying to make you feel more more optimistic about sort of cricket and australian cricket there's been a lot of stuff coming out on twitter which is the broadcasters having kind of um recordings of Labuschagne talking during his innings which is very wholesome stuff um so, i haven't i haven't yes. seen this what does he what yes. does he say well the, what it, it it depends actually how, whether you see this as sort of encouraging or sort of low-level sledging but he sort of gets beaten by a ball by Jason Holder and tells him what a great ball delivery it is and stuff like that so um yeah, right. yeah and sort of I, I think he's just um he's just incessantly enthusiastic I think he's someone who finds um yes cricket in all its forms just completely delightful which is which is good if you play it professionally From the archives and as fans and players we're now all very used to the decision review system and that you know ticking clock and the will he won't he and the wait for hawkeye etc but it actually only made its first appearance in 2008 and toby is going to tell us all about it so the other day a colleague at work actually said to me when was the
1: first time we were having a conversation i can't remember what the conversation was about but they said to me when was the first time the decision review system was used in cricket and i didn't have, a, have an answer to that because it does feel as you say as you intimate as though it's been around forever but there was a simpler time there was a simpler time when the umpire on the field made all the decisions and it was only in 2008 the DRS was given its first outing in test matches. So it, it, the plan was that it was going to be trialled in a series between England and South Africa but the boards of the respective countries couldn't agree on exactly how it would be implemented in that, in that series and so that was postponed. Um, interestingly, part of the kind of fear was that this would lead there was this kind of lingering fear that drs would lead to a kind of long long long-term undermining of the on-field umpires and in the um this is a, a kind of fascinating stat that in the friends provident trophy i think in 2000 in 2007 um all every single referral that had been sent to the third umpire had ended up Backing the on-field umpire's decision, and the feeling was that actually what was happening was that these third umpires there, given all of the you know, Hawkeye and Hotspot and everything else, um, were actually ultimately going. I don't want to undermine my colleagues on the pitch, so I'm just going to go with their decision every single time.
0: It's almost a protest,
1: isn't it? If it, it feels like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it fell to the series between um India and Sri Lanka in in Sri Lanka, which I suppose in a way is. Ironic, because India, of course, famously later went on to be vehemently opposed to DRS and refused to use it for for, for a long time. Um, So looking back on on the um, terms of use that the Indian and Sri Lankan boards came up with, there are a few um, things that jump out. The first one of which is that the teams have unlimited reviews, so they can review as many decisions as they want to. Um, Secondly, that the umpire could actually refer to the third umpire themselves. Um, which I don't think is actually the case now. I think the on field umpire can't actually refer it straight up themselves, or can they still? I actually it, I can't it, remember that. No, what the... so,
0: so I think it's a good question I, so I think for things like um was a catch held cleanly and stuff. They can but refer that. No, I that. think you're absolutely right, the umpire but can't now. LBW refer, they say can't LB... yeah, exactly. refer that. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um so what was available to the third umpire in this initial test in two thousand and eight were stump mics. Um, slow motion cameras and Hawkeye so there wasn't there wasn't hotspot um, there wasn't a snicko there was stump mics so you could listen but there weren't snicko so you kind of see the waveform in the way that we've become uh, we, we've become accustomed um, Hawkeye was actually at that point called virtual eye and it was only used to show the ball, the trajectory of the ball up to the point at which it hit the pad. So it wasn't used in the way that we now, the very clear-cut way we now see it,
0: where it shows the ball moving on past the pad, whether to hit hit the stumps or not. The, 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 there's, I mean, there's so much that sticks out here, but I'm, I'm very struck by the unlimited reviews, which um just from a really practical point of view seems to just rely on the teams not yep. being not ridiculous. taking a piss yeah because yep. you, you feel like i mean just from a practical point of view if, if i was trying to sort of kill My time, time yeah. to get to a
1: yeah. draw if you were nine down on the last afternoon exactly. you know yeah. with impossible amounts of runs to get yeah then that would be the way to do it um one one little sort of piece of trivia here is is that um, the DRS trial happening in Sri Lanka brought the process the whole process around DRS full circle because it was in fact a Sri Lankan lawyer who about ten years before had actually proposed the whole system to the ICC around DRS and how it might be implemented and the idea of of players actually referring to an off field off off field umpire, um, so um drs tried in 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 2008 in uh, a match in colombo it gets a real workout um during during the match um on the second day telekaratni dilshan he's given out caught behind he immediately Reviews. He thinks that his bat has hit the ground, jammed down on the ground, rather than having hit the ball, and that's the sound that the umpire, the on-field umpire, has has heard. The third umpire accordingly overturns the decision, and he's and he's not out. Um, interestingly, later on, so Snickometer, as I said earlier, isn't actually available um, for this. Um, for this test so they can you can listen to the audio but you can't see the kind of waveform um but later on the snookometer was kind of retrofitted into the game and it actually showed that he had edged the ball as well as hitting the ground and it's another one of those you, you remember that period when um, if you're watching on TV, you had more available to you in terms of DRS third umpire decision-making tools than the umpires had. It's a little bit like, like that kind of um, moment, that sort of separation between
0: what the fans would know and what the umpires would know. Yeah, th- this seems to really not fit- fix the problem, does it? Because if you're saying that the D- the third umpire can have some of the tools but not all the tools that the fans have got at home, then you're not really fixing, as you say, that that kind of misalignment between yeah, exactly. what I can see from my sofa and... yeah. Exactly. Um, so
1: um, the in, some Indian batsmen got some decisions in the other direction. Tendulkar and and Dravid most most notably both were given out by the on field umpires for caught behind decisions. Um, but the review system showed that they both both got some bats on their on their deliveries. Now this is interesting because the deliveries were from the Sri Lankan. Um, uh spinners so they were from Murelithran um, and, and Mendes and they were those kind of cu- quite complex spinner catches where you're not quite sure you know it's come off um you know Tendalkers have come off the back of his bat and then his thumb and then his pad one of those kind of catches where you're just not quite sure what the order of things are and that's what the umpires need to work out and often in a pre-DRS era it would have meant that the benefit of doubt would have gone to the because they were sort of too much at play to, to to get to give it out but suddenly with DRS there was an ability to scrutinize some of these catches a bit more closely and and this is an instance in which the spinners ended up um having the decision go their way and I think again kind of a significant change that we've seen with um uh, DRS is that a lot of dismissals that we previously would never have thought would have been out have been shown to be out. A, l- a bit like some of those more outlandish LBWs, where someone gets a long way forward to mm. a ball outside the off stump, and suddenly there's no way you can give it out on the field. Of course, you can't. The risk is too, high, you know, the chances are so high that it's it's not out. But suddenly you go to DRS, and there's a
0: chance that you know it, it's, that some of them that some of them will be will be out. It uh, it does seem to be. Um, in terms of trying to endear the Indian team and fans to the system of all the batsmen to yeah. go, obviously Tendulkar is a bad one for a start. To add Dravid to that, yeah. so like, you, you can imagine, I think you, your very fair point about the system working and resolving a complex situation, I, I imagine this was to some extent wasted. <laughs> waste yeah, hang it, on, on. It's a,
1: you make, and you make a very good point because it only got worse on on day four. Um, so Saywag is batting to Molytherin, he's given not out to an LBW um uh, lbw shout you watch it live it's on it's on YouTube um you watch it live and you just straight away you say you say not out the the ball all but pitches outside leg um and it actually deflects off the front pad before it then hits the back pad there's just uncertainty all over the all over the place here um the Sri Lankan sent the decision upstairs to Rudy Kurtzen who's the third umpire for this for this game and he decides to overturn on the basis that the ball tracking shows the ball heading for middle for middle stump um but interestingly what the ball tracking didn't take into account was the deflection off the front pad so it just showed the the trajectory of the ball after pitching and then heading towards the the front pad it doesn't actually show that the the, the, the deflection which is surely something that curtson should have um should have noticed um, and so there is this kind of moment where again another another Indian great is is toppled through um, through DRS which as you say doesn't necessarily um, uh, you know kind of make the world's uh, greatest uh, population of cricket fans. Um, it doesn't endear the system to them. Um, so interesting so so there are nine reviews in total in this test match and not a single one of them fell. Um, in India's favor which is something that's re- replicated across the entire um test series where i think India only had one successful review and, and Sri Lanka had 11 um i don't quite know what you make of that as a stat other than you know obviously there's a question about how you mm. use it um as a um as as a team but that seems like a a huge um kind of disproportionate um weighting in favor of the of, of the sri lankans. um what is what is notable about this first test is that the sri lanka won by an innings and 239 runs. and i think that it's probably for all of the controversy around particularly the saywag dismissal i think it would have been very hard for the indians to argue that being thrashed so thoroughly was due to due to drs and so actually the kind of controversy around some of this sort of went um went away a little bit and certainly once the players had a taste of what it looked like to be able to refer decisions and take some of that power back and once the fans had seen that it was impossible to put that genie genie back in the bottle the drs genie back in the bottle and the system was officially launched in tests the next year in a series between um new zealand and pakistan and then in in 2011 in the one day internationals The review, and for this episode, we've been reading Long Shot Summer, the year of the four England cricket captains, 1988. Uh, it was published in two thousand and fifteen, and it's uh, written by Neil Robinson, who's the head of Heritage and Collections at the MCC. That sounds like a pretty damn good job, actually. Sounds being like the a head great job. Heritage and Collections at the MCC. So the book, as the um, as the title uh, suggests, is about the year nineteen eighty eight, the year in which England had four England uh, had had four cricket captains. Um, it mixes kind of behind the scenes intrigue and match reports and um, There are and um, Neil Robinson draws on interviews and and newspaper reports of the time, putting together this pretty comprehensive uh, result. So, so nineteen eighty eight, other than being the birth year of um, of the two of us, remind us, Andy, of of nineteen eighty eight and the and the events of nineteen eighty eight.
0: Well, the preceding winter, so the sort of 87-88 winter, had already been pretty lively. We had the the Shackle-Runner affair and and actually Robinson does a a very nice job of recounting that, which I think is is something both of us have come across before. This is sort of Gatting. It it, it was an England tour of Pakistan where there were plenty of rows over umpiring that kind of Exploded in Gatting's run in with the Pakistani. We've done it from the
1: archives, I think. You did it. I think we have. I think we've done it from the
0: archives, and it's one of those incidents that, if you read about enough about cricket, you you run into endlessly. There was then a slightly less entertaining, but still somehow controversial tour of New Zealand, Um, and England approached a series with the West Indies, which at this time was always, you know, uh, an extremely challenging prospect, in not great shape. Um, and thanks to a mixture of scandal, poor performance and injury, they got through four captains, Mike Gatting, John Embry, Chris Cowdrey, and Graham Gooch. And they got hammered 4-0. So um, it was quite Despite a series. Despite working their way through four, you know, four captains and
1: um, exactly. etc. Um, so how much of the... Well, one thing that really jumps out is the role of the selectors um, in all of this. Because the selectors, yeah, yes, they're a kind of... Um, external forces that come to bear on the England team but they're also the selectors are so the kind of chief protagonist in all of this and the way that they kind of chop and chop and change the um, the, the team. What jumped what out at you about the selectors and the way they
0: worked? <laughs> Well, Robinson quickly makes the comparison between the England team of today and the England team of 88 in terms of selection. And I think one thing this book made me realise was selectors uh, and influential people in the ECB will always have power. But I think now, at least, there is a bit of a system that sort of Mm. gives you a shot at stability. It's less about kind of just a personal fiefdom. Um, And I'm afraid the book does rather give the sense that particularly Peter May, the chair at the time, it was a bit of a personal five term there are countless examples in the book the one that really struck with me was Chris Cowdery inheriting a team that was being hammered in this series was told at the start of a selection meeting before any discussion at all that he had to leave Paul Downton and David Gower out in the end Cowdery manages to barter his way to getting Gower and you're hearing the story and thinking hang on this isn't this isn't Strategic. <laughs> well, it's also it's
1: also the Calgary who, when he is offered the captaincy um, in the midst of a kind of a bit of a crisis in English cricket, is told by Peter May, who incidentally is his godfather, is told by Peter May, um, "Quotes: I don't mind what happens at Headingley or the Oval. You're going to lose those games anyway. So these are the remaining two games mm. in the um in in the series, and he's just being told, you know, don't bother about those. We're not expecting you to you to win them." The other thing that surprised me about kind of selection policy was the fact that captains were explicitly and publicly selected only for a limited run of um of time so when gatting's reappointed at the beginning of the series it's just for the well it's just for the texaco kind of limited overs trophy and then for the first two games of the windy series and he's told that that is the length of his appointment and at the end of that it'll be reconsidered and did just so when Embury gets the um don embury gets the 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 captain's cap um he's told it's going to be for one test and we'll reconsider after that and in terms of stability, this kind of Damocletian sword hanging over the captains must have been incredibly undermining. Well
0: the, the funny thing about it is you could you could argue I think very much that at the time the role of England test captain was probably even more high profile nationally than it is now. Um, but it does almost seem to be treating the position with, <laughs> with very little respect. I, th- mm-hmm. I think of all the sort of stuff we had more recently with the transition from Root to Stokes and the seriousness with which everyone was approaching it. Th- this feels almost very flippant, you know, tossing mm-hmm. out the captaincy to whoever whoever fancied it.
1: There were though a lot of the a lot of the selectors had very strong personal morals that informed their decisions. There's the. The wonderful story of the, the glorious, gloriously named kind of Edwardian named Ossie um, Wheatley, who is vehemently opposed to Mike Gassing getting the captaincy again because he says it kind of undermines the morals of the game to have someone of whom there are pictures of them wagging their finger at an umpire you know them the example that would be set to to, to, to younger players so the shaka rana incident is, is kind of held up as being something um that means that the getting can never get it never get the captaincy again and that is despite the other scandal at the heart of this book which is the 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 Gatting and the barmaid, the infamous Gatting and the barmaid um, We're- scandal, which really paints a picture, I suppose, as well of the, the relationship between English cricket and the tabloids.
0: Absolutely. And I think this is something Robinson does really well because it reminds you, and we don't quite have it now. I mean, the tabloids remain very powerful, but we don't quite have this sort of combative relationship (coughs) to the same degree between the tabloids and English cricket. The story was reported in The Sun that Gatting had romped, and it has to be romped. That's the only way that, that, you know, within the tabloids, by the lakeside with a 20 year old barmaid. A perfect story, but with the one failing that it appears to be entirely untrue. Um, I love Robinson's dissection of the story. So he's clearly looked up the weather reports and says that it was five degrees on the night of the romp, which he suggests does not sound like ideal conditions for alfresco frolics. But his really formidable bit of research is that he's found that there is no lake at the Rothley Court Hotel where the England players were, were and staying. And the whole story which, in the tabloid
1: is all, you know, by on the banks of the lake is where it's a bit of made, barmaid We're having it away. It's a slam dunk. There small hours of the, um, small hours of the morning. But there is a very, um, the story, I mean, it's easy to kind of laugh about it, but the story leaves a very bad taste in the mouth when it comes to, um, Robinson interviews, you know, um, contemporarily um, Louise Shipman, who is the the, the barmaid in, in, in question. And it's actually quite kind of disturbing to hear what she went through and what the press put her through in order to kind of generate to create this fictitious story really in the first place but then also the way that they kind of abandoned her sort of on on the scrap heap once her role in creating you know selling a few newspapers was um was uh was was done and i you kind of think good on robinson for actually kind of following up that side of the story as well because it's not just the Mm -hmm. impact on gatting and gatting's captaincy that, that um, is is impacted on through through
0: there? I I think uh, it's really good because it would be an obvious angle to miss given the focus on the cricket, and I think it does it it does show again that there th- there was a ruthlessness to how this worked, and I'm sure there still is. Um, I think it's hard to better um, the Melbourne Age's verdict on the whole affair, which was. Gatting court rumour, bold hypocrisy, nil. Um, and this was linked to the fact that despite the ECB accepting that Gatting had done no- nothing wrong, he still lost the job. Mm. So um, this is
1: a, a, a summer of four England captains, a whole lot of controversy in, in different ways on the team. And inevitably, there are some wonderful anecdotes that kind of come, come out of that. You mentioned the Shakarana affair um, earlier. I was, I'd was i never heard about actually the um, the apology letter that Gassing was forced to write to Shakurana so so the England board get, get involved without actually talking to the players so they don't you know write to the players and say hang on what's going on here what happened on the pitch they just decide they have a committee meeting and they decide that the players have, have behaved appallingly and particularly Gassing and so they tell Gassing he has to apologise and Gassing writes this letter that says simply dear Shaka Rana, I apologise for the bad language used during the second day of the test match full stop end of letter which is one of the most kind of fantastic non-apologies that, that I think has, has, has he, ever been penned it's sort of
0: the absolute bare minimum it's like what what can i what can i get away with which just about constitutes a sort of and he doesn't apologize uh, for his his actions in in
1: any way whatsoever and obviously feeling that that he shouldn't have done but again there's this kind of massive breakdown between the board and the and the or the selexis and the um and the players in 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 this regard
0: i i had a a bit more of a niche anecdote which was i love the fact that um chris cowdrey you know debuts england captain viv riches win t- wins the toss and says to count Ka- cowdrey i don't know i'll go and speak to my team and let you know and this set me off on a bit yeah. of a rabbit hole because i thought this is a wonderful bit of you know this is a fantastic bit can of game can you do and that ship. yeah well and it turns out no you can't do that i looked up and uh, well, you MCC... have to make the call as the captain exactly moment, yeah. mcc law 13 makes very clear that you must say what you want to do yeah i, I i'm not a hundred percent i i assume this law was around at the time but it's sort of um uh obviously a lot of the west indian characters are uh, players are characters in this in this sort of story as well and i think it, it, it's a further um addition to the viv richards legend that he was willing to basically tell an england captain there's to a say, lot of swagger. There's, oh, there's, 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 there's there's real, swagger there's 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 yeah. real swagger to that um yeah.
1: there's there's the story of the um so amidst all of this mike Gadding signs a book deal um and uh while he's being kind of Sort of reconsidered to be England captain. This this book is about to be published, but he has this agreement with the um, English board that he won't talk about the Shakarana affair publicly. And there is this chapter in the book about it. Um, and so the publisher decides to get around this that they will claim that that particular chapter was written only by the ghostwriter and not by Gassing. Um, and then at the last minute, Gassing, you know, the books having been published, you know, tries to get the that chapter um, that chapter rescinded from the book as well. It's just a kind of complete bloody you know bloody mess the whole thing as is the moment when um john embury um got called up to be um gassing's successor is actually gets the phone call when he's at gassing's benefit match and has to go up to gassing and say i'm really sorry i need to leave for half an hour because i gotta go to lords to meet with the selectors <laughs> um because they want me to replace you as do sorry do you mind if i go and do this for half an hour in the middle of your in the middle of your benefit and then and 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 then and then come back um so yeah it's certainly a kind of it's it's a year that lends itself
0: to some pretty amusing moments Yes, and I think you can read so much of it in the context of um, it feels like a totally different era, and, and it was, but at the same time, you know, we're only talking um, just over 30 years ago. So, yeah, I th- think have, things have changed. So that was uh, The Long Shot Summer by Neil Robinson. I think, uh, yeah, a very interesting account of a year that probably all of us know little bits and pieces of, but this um, pulls it uh, together rather nicely and that was the 159th episode of reverse sorts radio um
1: leave us a review leave us a nice review wherever you <laughs> listen to your to your to your podcast you got it's got to be nice andy's feeling delicate at the moment he hasn't had much sleep so be nice to him <laughs>